0: Welcome to the podcast for Real Church Coweta. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sharpsburg. You can also check us out online at realchurchcoweta.com or jump on Facebook at Real Church Coweta. We hope you enjoy this week's message. I was 17 years old, and uh, I was doing one of the things that I loved doing most, and that is going fishing. I love going fishing. I used to go fishing with my dad all the time, I started out fishing with my dad when I was probably about seven or eight years old, and I'll never forget, I was 11 years old, and I was on the Kentucky Lake, which is where we lived. We lived right there on the Kentucky Lake, near the Kentucky Lake, where Middle Tennessee and West Tennessee kind of combined. The the Tennessee River comes down, and the lake expands out, and it expands out uh, right there to make the Kentucky Lake. And there's all kinds of places, and I'll never forget. We were on the right-hand side uh, of the lake, and there was this rock. There was this rock. It's actually where the, the old uh, Confederate um, railroad used to be, going right from east to uh, uh, going, going from east to west. Uh, and uh, it's it, it was they had all this rock around. And my dad and I were fishing, and I, I caught more fish than him. I caught three, and he caught two. Now fishing with my dad was always a nice, gentle. Not really. It was always a competition. It didn't matter if I was 8. My dad was like, I don't care if you're 8 or not. I'm not teaching you how to do a worm. We're competing. And I've been competing ever since. And so, we would go, even to this day when I go fishing with my brothers, it's a competition. We don't say much, but it's a competition. Because after that it's like, yeah, hmm I did this, you did that. Um, but I was on the Kentucky Lake at 17. And when I tell you I know the Kentucky Lake like the back of my hand, I really do. I could probably right now as we sit here, I could probably draw out for you. Uh, if you give me 20 or 30 minutes I could draw out every fishing hole, what the name was. Um, I could draw out everything about Kentucky Lake and because I, I knew it. But I went with my buddy. My buddy's dad had a really nice bass boat and um, I went with him fishing one day. It was a beautiful day. It was absolutely a beautiful day. Sun was shining and we were catching good fish. We really were. And we were, we, we, he decided, he said, hey listen, usually I fished on this side of the bridge. And he said, hey listen, there's some great fishing uh, on the other side of the bridge down near Birdsong. Um, and Birdsong is a campground and an area where you go in. It's, it was really fun. But they had some great fishing down there. So, we went all, the, but it was a long way. We went all the way down to Birdsong. And so, uh, it was starting to get what we thought was a little bit late and he was hey listen let's go ahead and and let's start making our way back I said it sounds good and we were rolling I mean this bass boat would go um, looking back I don't know that I would give my 17 year old a bass boat to go out into the lake but that's just me I mean I'm just thinking maybe I'm just too you know because I remember how dumb I was and my buddy was more dumb than I am so you know what I'm saying I mean we were kind of we were both kind of idiots um, And you'll understand that when I tell the rest of the story. What we needed that day, we didn't have. We needed a large Chinese weather balloon (laughs) that would give us the forecast. But we didn't have that. And I had forgotten because I hadn't lived in the state for a couple years. I call those my Egypt years when I lived in Ohio. I hadn't lived in the state for a few years, and I had forgotten how quickly storms would blow up on the Kentucky Lake. Um, It's really crazy because if you look at a map, everyone always asks me, they always say, hey listen, you're from Tennessee, where from? And I always hang my head and say, the ugly part, West Tennessee. Oh, I've got my family's all in East Tennessee, or I've been to East Tennessee. I'm like I know, East Tennessee is the is the supermodel of Tennessee. You know what I mean? Uh, Middle Tennessee is the um, the very uh, attractive uh, young lady who you want to bring home to mom, and West Tennessee is the ugly sister. All right, that's just how it is. It is flat in West Tennessee. It is hilly. In Middle Tennessee, it is mountainous. In East Tennessee, and we lived in West Tennessee. The storms would blow through so quickly, and we didn't because it was a beautiful day. And all of a sudden, what we thought was darkness actually was storm clouds. And guys, when I tell you that the 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 lake that I knew so well that I had just fished for the last five or six hours, that lake turned into. An absolute terror pit for me. Um, I have rarely felt like, okay, this is the time I'm going to die. Except the time I said something about Wendy's hair, and then I thought at that point, too, it's about the same thing. All right, uh, she got a new haircut, and I was like, eh, and she said, all right, I'm gonna kill you. But no, listen, seriously, I literally thought I was gonna die. So, I've always been, uh, I've never been uh, gravitationally challenged, all right? I'll just leave it at that. I've always been a big dude. And my buddy, we were driving down the river, and all of a sudden, the rain and the hail started hitting us, going on the river. And it was pounding my head. I had hair at the time, but it was starting to thin. I was 17, all right? It was starting to show a little bit of thinness. And so it wasn't much to, to, to so I, I put something on the top of my head, and it's going, it's just pounding my head. Well, we end up, he said, listen, let's get as close to the bank as we can just in case something happens. And the boat was coming up. I mean, it was raising way up and going, bam, raising up and bam. And so I said, hey man, since I'm a little bigger, don't I need to get up in the front? And he said, yes. And so I got up in the front and I sat on the, the area in the front where you would usually have a seat or you would stand fishing. And I sat there and held on to both sides. And I got the fool beat out of me. And it was like, bam. Bam! And I was like, well, this is it. I literally in my brain was reading two teenagers, hashtag idiots, were fishing on Kentucky Lake when their boat overturned and they drowned. You know, in the whole situation I never decided to put on a life jacket. I don't know why. I think back and I'm like, why didn't I grab a, that, wouldn't that have been the first thing I'd have done is thrown a life jacket? Nope, not me. But we kept going. This went on for about 30 minutes. And we were just going, I mean, the the motor was starting to bog down. And we were bam, bam, bam. And I was thinking, okay. I was just looking to the side and I was like, let's hit, let's get on the land. Um, And he said, I think we're going to be okay. And I was thinking, no, we're not. We're not going to be okay. Um, And it kept, and then all of a sudden, it stopped raining. And the sun came back out within five minutes. And the water that was so horrible turned into glass again. And we kept on going and pulled in. And I have never went fishing with that dude again <laughs> to this day. Nor will I ever again. Um, man, I tell you, storms can blow up on you quick, can't they? Can't they blow up on you quick? Storms can blow up on you very quickly. They really can. Storms in our lives can um, blow up on us quickly. Uh, that theologian, that great theologian Randy Travis used to sing, the storms of life they are dragging me away, right? Um, they can blow up on you really quickly and that is what we are going to look at today. We are going to look at a storm in the life of the disciples, but there are some dynamics around this storm that is an amazing scene that you have to go digging for a little bit, like you do in everything in John. But you're going to get it, and I'm going to help you get it. Let's take a look at what the main goal of the book in John is. Is John chapter 20, verse 31? If you're new here, uh, or if you're visiting here, I want to tell you what we do. We we feel really strongly. I feel really strongly that. In order for us to understand the Scriptures that we actually need to go through them. And so, we go through the Scriptures verse by verse. I'll pick a book out and we'll go through the Scriptures. And we usually do a series that lasts about eight to nine months. Um, we've been doing this series since August, by the way, and we're on John chapter 6. And so, you can see this one's going to be a little longer, um, but we like to go through verse by verse so we don't miss anything. And so, here is what the main goal of the book of John is the gospel of John is but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah the son of God so the first thing is is they're written why because we want you to what believe and that by believing in him that you will have life so when you believe You will have life by the power of His name. Not by the power of anything you do. Not by the power of something that your brother, sister, mother, dad, whatever does. But by believing in Him by the power of His name that you can have life. And so when you think about John you need to think about believe and live. Believe and live. With that let's take a look and read John chapter 6 starting in verse 16. John chapter 6 starting in verse 16. Here's what it says. It says, that evening. Jesus' disciples went down to the shore to wait for Him. Well, what evening? Well, the evening that He had literally just fed the 5,000 men and then women and children. So, the Scripture says 5,000. It's really 15,000, around 15,000 people because they didn't count the women and children in the numbers. It was just the men. And so, He really just fed the 15,000. But don't forget what had happened before this. And I told you last week was this was probably one of the worst days of Jesus' life. Jesus had just heard that John the Baptist had gotten killed. He had just been beheaded, and Jesus got this news. But when Jesus got this news, his disciples were coming back, and they were excited. They were super excited about about the ministry that they had just taken care of. They had just done, and we can read about those in Matthew and Mark, that they had just done this incredible ministry and they were coming back and they were excited. And so Jesus, is he is burdened, he is grieving, yet they are excited. And in the meantime, the people have heard about the greatness of God and the greatness of what Jesus is doing and how he's being used. And those people began to flood around him, the people from Galilee. And I told you last week that when you hear the word Galilee in the scriptures, you should think of peasant Galileans were people that farmed. They were people that that really lived off the land. And their main concern would have been, where they are going to get their next meal? Okay, they weren't uppity. They they were thinking about where they were going to get their next meal. And so they came to, to Jesus to hear His teaching. The disciples were there. Jesus was grieving. And remember, at first Jesus, all He wanted to do was get away with the disciples, but the crowds would not allow Him to do that. And the time had come for dinner, and they ended up feeding the five. It says that evening Jesus' disciples went to the shore to wait for him. But as darkness fell and Jesus still hadn't come back, they got into the boat and headed across the lake toward Capernaum. Soon a gale swept uh, down upon them and the sea grew very rough. They had rowed three or four miles when suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water toward the boat. They were terrified, but he called out to them, Don't be afraid, I am here. Then they were eager to let him in the boat and immediately arrived at their destination. Well, that is, a, um, that is an interesting synopsis of what occurred by John. However, as in other things, we have the ability to look at both Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and we need to see there's some surrounding things that are going around this. But first I want to tell you about the Sea of Galilee. My bride, Wendy, has been there. She has been there, and she's been in a boat on the Sea of Galilee, which is really cool. Um, I'm not jealous of that at all. Anyway, um, I have a map of the sea here. Let me, let me do some detailing for you. So, here is the Sea of Galilee. So, right here, uh, don't ever give an ADD guy a pointer because I'll be pointing it at your face and all that stuff. So, here is the sea. This is where they fed the 5,000 in this area. All right, so this is kind of where they were kind of at in this general area. And you can see going across from here to Capernaum, it's about five miles. It's about five miles across. And whenever whenever um, Wendy was there, she said it felt so small when you hear about the Sea of Galilee. Uh, it's it probably closer to the Lake of Galilee, you know what I mean, if you know the truth about it. It's probably a little closer to that. Um, but, but you see you the, they feed the 5,000 here. And so they're probably in a boat coming in this direction here. That's probably where they were headed here to Capernaum. And so Jesus, There's and if you you can see, I want to teach you something else while we're here. You see all of these things in through here. You see all of these. If you know about map reading and those kind of things, you know, you can tell if you really, really focus, you can tell that this is actually surrounded by mountainous hills. It's surrounded by it. And there are areas where the wind can come in. And what would occur, and and, and this is what's kind of crazy about this, is because, and don't forget, there were several people on this boat that were fishermen, that had fished here. They knew about these storms, but they had forgotten, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But there were storms that would whip through here, and they would happen, much like on the Kentucky Lake, without a big old weather balloon from China, you never know these things, right? All right, I'm going to stop talking about that. Nonsense. Anyway, so so they literally, they literally would the storms would blow through here and they would be very swift, very quick, and then they were and then they were over. And so you can see it's around at the at the at the widest level. It's about eight miles and it's thirteen miles long. Gets very narrow in here. It gets very narrow up here. But they were they weren't going through the main part. They were going through This part up near the top. So, what did Jesus do instead of go with them in a boat? Let me tell you what he did. He did the thing that he knew that he needed to do in order to be filled and be ready for the next day. And what he did was he went off by himself. And he connected with the Father. And he did that because he saw that as a first priority before he took another step in his life. The first thing he wanted to do, because he knew his situation, even though, even though, even though he had the power that he had, even though he had the resources that he had, the first thing he wanted to do. Is freeze, go up on the mountain side, and connect with His Heavenly Father. He thought that was a first priority. And so should you. And so should I. He had His priorities in the right place. One of the uh, one of the my favorite things I used to listen to all the time, um, and there's actually a podcaster who does this kind of now, but he's not quite as good. I like him, but he's not quite as good. Is uh, Paul Harvey, and Paul Harvey used to come on the radio in the afternoons, and he'd say, "And now the rest of the story," and he would tell the whole story, and he was incredible. And I don't know where he got all these stories from, but he was incredible. So, today I want to tell you guys the rest of the story. You can find that in Matthew chapter 14. It will be on the screen behind, starting in verse 22. It says, Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that His disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while He sent the people home. After sending them home, He went up in the hills by Himself to pray. Night fell while he was there. So I want to stop there. Let me say something to you guys. I'm fairly confident, and I don't know this for a fact. This is my guess. Knowing the disciples the way the Scriptures say to them, there's probably a little bit of discussion going on between Jesus and the disciples. He's saying, you guys go ahead. No, no, we don't want to go without you. You guys go ahead. No, I don't want to go without you. And I think Jesus finally just said, hey, look, I'm going up on the hillside and you're not coming. And so I think this connects well with The Gospel of John where it says, well they were standing there and realized He wasn't coming back, so they got in the boat. I think that's what it is. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from the land for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting back heavy waves. At three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. Well, how in the world does Jesus know that they were Fighting back waves. How did he know? Well, at other parts in Mark and and Luke, and I think it's in Mark, the scripture says this it says, "And, And Jesus saw them, and he saw that they were in trouble, they were struggling. That in itself is a miracle. That Jesus is on the land. Listen, they didn't have, you know, they didn't have Google coordinates. They didn't have FaceTime. You know, they didn't have flashlights. It's pitch black. Yet even in the darkest of night, Jesus still saw them. And he understood what they were going through. And he does the same for me and you. That's free. You don't even have, that's, that's no, it going not cost you anything. That one was a free one. Here's what, here's what it continues to say. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified in fear. They cried out, it's a ghost. So, the reason they cried out, it's a ghost, is because many people believed back then that when you die, you became a ghost. And when they saw a ghost, they were like, ro row." That's getting ready to be me. It's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them once again and said, Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. And then it says, Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. And Jesus said, Yes, come. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. And this is an important point that I don't ever want you to forget. Then, I have it circled in my Bible for a reason. Then the disciples worshipped him. This is the first time recorded in the Scriptures where the disciples worshipped him. As Lord. Then the disciples worshiped him, saying, You are really the Son of God, they exclaimed. What can we learn? What does this say about God? What does it say about us? And what are we going to do with it? The first thing that I want you to know is we forget very quickly what God has done for us. How quickly we forget what it is that that God has done for us, I want you to imagine this for a second. You have just seen God in the flesh being Jesus feed over 15,000 people. you've just seen as a matter of fact, when you get into the boat, have you guys ever had a situation where um, you go, like, let's just say, I'm just, I, this is hypothetical totally, but you go to, let's say, a Mexican restaurant in Ashley Park, you know, La Perea maybe, you eat a little bit too much of the chips, you with me? I've never done this, but I'm sure some of you have. Uh, you, you eat too much chips, and then all of a sudden they, they bring the, you know, because you get the big bowl of cheese dip, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, I call that the real crack. Right? It's the cheese dip because you can't stop eating it. And, and so you do that, but then the meal comes and you're like, well, gosh, man, I don't want to waste all this money on the meal. And so can you partake in that too? Are you with me? A few of you skinny people are going, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. Anyway, everybody else understands, right? So you, you do that. Well, you, you get kind of overfull, and you get it and you, you walk out and you get in the car and you're like, man, I'm never doing that again until the next time when you've forgotten. I want you to understand something. The disciples were in the boat and they were fearful, but they were fearful with full overflowing stomachs from what God had just done for them. They were overflowing and they forgot because we quickly forget. One of the greatest examples of this is in parenting. It's so amazing to me whenever whenever kids become teenagers because they think they know it all, and they forget, they forget everything that you've done for them. And here's the, I have good news everybody. For some it happens around 21 or 22. Most time it takes a 24 or 25. Sometimes you have to have your own kid, you know what I'm saying, and then it really hits you in the face. But our experience has been that the kids eventually remember what you did, and you go from, you go from being everything to the dumbest thing, to the most wise person in the world, all of them have spent about 25 years. Are you with me? And so, so our kids forget all the sacrifices that we make. They do. I have a picture, speaking of forgetting things, I have a picture uh, that doesn't really go with our uh, decorating motif in our home. Uh, It's got a strong 90's vibe. Are you with me? You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to describe it because your house may have a strong 90's vibe and you may think it looks awesome and maybe it does for you. But this picture is right when you walk in my door. You walk in my house and the first thing you're going to see to the right is a picture about this big. Someone made it for us. It's about this big. Um, And it's got a it's got, a roll of, it's got two photographs on it. The first photograph is of our home. It's up here in this corner of our home that our first house we ever bought. The next photograph, by the way, they were on the same camera roll, the same roll of film. Our next picture down here is of our house completely destroyed by, that was destroyed by a tornado. And there's scriptures We've put scriptures in the middle and the scripture is a scripture that a pastor who picked me up that night underlined in my Bible about how God has lifted us up out of the pit and has saved us for such a time and for doing greater things. And so that's what you see when you walk into the house. And yes, it has a strong 90s, late 90s, you know, feel to it. Why? Why don't I just change the frame? I don't want to change the frame. Why don't I change the matting? I don't want to change the matting. You know why? Cuz I never want to forget. I want that that situation. I want that to be frozen in my mind. I do. I want it intentionally to be frozen in my mind so that I when I walk in, when I walk by, when I see it in, immediately I don't think about the horrors of the tornado that destroyed our home. I think about all that God did since the tornado that destroyed our home. And I believe that we forget so quickly what God has done for us, especially when a storm blows up in our life. The second thing I want you to understand is this. What we're seeing in this story is the Creator controlling the created. What occurred in this story is that the Creator controlled the created. And you may think, well, I don't understand what you're meaning. Well listen, I'm glad you ask, because we're going to go to John chapter one and, and verses one through four, where it says this, and we've already went through this, we spent two weeks on this. in the beginning was the word already existed. The Word was already there in the beginning, okay? It was already there. What does that mean? It means that before the creation of the world that we know that Jesus was already there. He was already there. He was there and He was part of the creative process. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God and God, here it is, and God created everything through Him. Jesus was the creative hand we see in Genesis from God. And nothing was created except through him. And the word gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. So what's occurring here is the creator, that which created... It's taking control of what he created. That's what Jesus is doing here when he walks on water. That's what he's doing when he calms the storm. And that's what he's doing when he calms the disciples. There's an image here where it says this. It says that uh, it says that Jesus began to walk on water. And this verse is one of my favorite verses in the scripture. It says Jesus. And every time I read about Jesus walking on water, I always think about Genesis chapter one verse two. Genesis chapter one verse two says, and I love this because what I think of is this formless void, this mountain of void, this mess. And it says that the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And here it is. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. One of my favorite movies is the original Jurassic Park. And in the opening scene of the original Jurassic Park, it's a helicopter. And it's... Hovering, The scene is, you can't really see the helicopter. It's just hovering over the ocean going into the park. It's hovering over. And I think about that. The Spirit of God. We can see here that another, that the Creator is hovering over this water as He walks on <clears throat> water. If we look at Psalm 107, 29 and 30, it says this, It says this, and it already said, you know, there's nothing like I told you a couple weeks ago whenever we had the trial, when Jesus was put on trial, and he said, hey, listen, your very word in the Old Testament talks about me. And this was one of the verses that I mentioned. He calmed the storm to a whisper and stilled the waves. And then we see, what a blessing was that stillness as he brought them safely into Harbor. The Creator controls the created. Jesus has the power over nature. In Mark chapter 6 verses 47 through 50, it says, Late that night the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves." And then about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water, and he intended to go past them, it said. But when, he saw, when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking it was a ghost. And they were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once and says, Don't be afraid and take courage. I am here. When you see that image in the pitch black, He saw their struggle, he saw their fear, and he went to them. And I want you to know something. If he saw their struggle and he saw their fear, what keeps him from seeing your struggle and your fear? Can I tell you what keeps him from it? I'm glad you asked. Let's look at Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. Romans chapter 8. We look at Romans chapter 8. A lot of people know this verse but I want you to see it in a different light. Romans chapter 8, it says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for, for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and He is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean He no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecutions or hunger or destitute or in danger or threatened with death, and I'll put, or have storms in your life? As the Scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheaves. No, despite all these things... Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. I, and I am convinced that nothing, what can separate him from seeing your pain? Nothing. What can separate him from coming to you? Nothing. What can separate him from helping you? Nothing. Nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to tell you something. If your kids, if your kids are hurt, if your kids are upset, if your kids are are injured in some way, can I tell you what will keep you away from those children? Nothing. Nothing. Zero. Not a police officer, not not any kind of danger, terror, whatever. Because you are going to go to that child And you're going to be at that, you're going to, you'll you'll go through a brick wall to get to that kid. And I want to tell you something. Jesus will do the same for you and me. He will. He'll do the same for you and I. He will. Nothing. Nothing. The creator was controlling the created. Then the last point is no surprise. Jesus went to him. He went to him. I want to tell you something. I think Peter's got a bad rap in this situation. Now, I think that because I'm a lot like Peter in this situation. But I think Peter's got a little bit of a bad rap. Why do I think he's got a bad rap? Well, here's the thing. Peter was on the boat with everybody else. Peter saw Jesus starting to, to, to come. He was fearful. Jesus said, don't worry, it's me. And Peter was like, well, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. A little bit of a test there. And so Jesus said, well, all right, well, you come. Come on. And, and when, he, when he started to come, he actually had a little bit of success at first, which would have freaked me out totally, right? Right? You'd think the faith would go through the roof at that point. It didn't. He started looking at the waves and getting scared. And he started sinking. And Jesus picked him up, said, you have little faith, took them both back to the boat. And a lot of people, when they read that, they're like, well, you need to have more faith. You need to have more faith. But let me say something to you. I bet you that's what the disciples said when he got in the boat. Well, why didn't you have enough faith? Jesus said you didn't have enough faith. And if I were Peter, I'd have said, I'm the one that got out of the boat. I'm the one that made my way toward Christ. You poor timid souls, all 11 of you, were in the boat. You were scaredy cats in the boat. I'm the one that went toward him. And I want to know, I want you to notice something. Even though he lacked the faith, he was still the first one to touch Jesus' hand. And he was still the first one to be lifted up. He was. You have doubts? Okay. Go to Jesus. You have fears? Go to Jesus. You have worries? Go to Jesus. You have, you name it, go to Jesus. Get out of the boat. Don't stay in your comfortable place. Don't, the disciples stayed in the boat because they viewed the boat as the safest place possible. That's never the right answer. Being in the grips of Jesus' hands is the safest place possible. That's the safest place possible. So I want to encourage you. Give it all you got. Go all in. Storms are around you. Get out of the boat. Run toward Jesus. And if your belief fails... Don't worry. He's going to lift you up. Let me pray for you. Lord, we love you. <clears throat> Lord, we're thankful. We're so thankful for your hand that lifts us up. Lord, there is nothing that will ever separate us from your love. Nothing. And all you ask us to do is believe and trust you. Lord, your word says that when we believe, then we live. And God, I don't want to live a life where I'm trusting in myself or I'm trusting in some company. Or I'm trusting in some church or I'm trusting in some person. Because all those things are not eternal. Lord, you are eternal from the beginning to the end, the Alpha and Omega. You are the very one that created me. You are the very one that created the storms. You are the very one that created what I see. And God, I choose to trust the creator over the created. Lord, let us be people that pour all we have into you. And Lord, even if we do sink like Peter, let us get out of the boat with the confidence to know that you will lift us up. It's in the strong and mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may have some concerns today. Maybe you're carrying a burden. I want to encourage you this. I want to encourage you not to leave here the same way you came in. I want to encourage you to leave here changed from the inside out. And so I want to ask you if you've been carrying something and something's been heavy on your heart, look, grab a friend beside you or or just come down to the altar and leave those things here. You won't be by yourself, I promise, because no one goes to the altar by themselves here, correct? Right? right in that right, real church? That's right. And so you will have people that will come around you and pray for you and pray with you. And walk out of here feeling free, knowing that even though you've just gotten out of the boat, that even if you falter on the way out, that Jesus is going to pick you up. He's going to carry you back. And it's Him that will calm the storm. It's Him that will provide the safety. It's Him that will provide the security. Because the Creator is over the created. Let's stand up and worship. Thank you for listening to the podcast for Real Church Coweta. If you have any questions or would like to contact us, please visit our website at realchurchcoweta.com and click on the Contact Us tab. We invite you to join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. in the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sharpsburg. Until then, God bless and remember to love God, love others, and live real.